Amen. 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 Someone's phone? <laughs> all right. Amen. Good morning, church. Good morning. Good to see you all. And uh, I heard Josh turned 30, had an epic birthday party. So I got to say happy birthday to Josh. All right. Yep, and clap for him. Awesome. Awesome. So um, getting old, Josh, getting old, 30. That's just, that's just weird. Um, we are in this series in Romans, and uh, you can turn to your Bible in the book of Romans. And uh, we just did two verses last week, and we have been going theme by theme thematically, and, and th these next couple of chapters from, from 12 through 16, uh, I am going to slow the pace down just a little bit because there's, there's so much application, there's so much meat, and we talked about that last week, that uh, a lot of Romans 1 through uh, 11 is the theological, the orthodoxy, and then 12 through 16 is orthopraxy, which is the practice. And so that's kind of how we live our lives, right? That it's by the way that we think, our theology that we have, that's what guides then our actions and our practice. So I'm going to slow down a little bit in these uh, next couple chapters. So we're just going to go over a few verses um, this, um, uh, this th today. But um, again, just a quick review is that in Romans 12, 1 through 2, which a lot of you have probably memorized, it's a hinge verse, the greatest therefore in all of scripture, is that there is a renewing of the mind. Paul says there is a renewing of the mind by the Holy Spirit that needs to take place in the believer's life on a continual basis. And what this renewing of the mind, the power of it is that it guides your actions, it guides your practices. And unless your mind is actually being renewed by the Spirit of God, meaning you have a relational depth with God, an ongoing relationship with God, unless it is being renewed by those things, we're not going to be able to know what God is thinking. We're not going to have the mind of Christ. And all you will be left with, you could read the Bible, but all you'll be left with are just principles from Scripture. Now, I was thinking a lot about this last week. The difference between having principles and le be being led by biblical principles versus being led by a person. I was thinking about the, um, the woman who was caught in adultery, if you remember that story. Remember kind of the Pharisees and, the, and some other spies were, were knew that this particular woman knew had, she had some particular issues and there was adultery in her life and, and they caught her at just the right time and probably brought, dragged her out uh, of that place they were meeting, probably half naked, and they threw her before Jesus. And so you had the religious leaders, and um, they, were, they were driven by principle, principle of scripture, and they had stones in their hands. But when she met Jesus, the giver of the law and the giver of the principles, she found forgiveness. It's different, right? And so some of us were really good some of us are really good at living at principles. Even if you're not a Christian, and we're so glad, you know, that if you're here today, if you're not a Christian, you can go far, actually, in life by living by a lot of biblical Christian principles. I mean, the Bible has a lot of good things to say about generosity, about relationships, about marriage, about forgiveness, uh, stewardship, integrity. But God's call isn't to live by just principles. It's to live by his presence. That, that's what it means to be a Christian is we're living within, with the spirit of God who is in us. And if you live by principles, you see one way will ultimately make you a stone thrower. 
The other way is going to make you a light bearer. One, make, one way is going to make you a slave of principles. The other is going to free you to have the creative mind of Christ, to know what God is thinking, to know what, how God sees things. Because God is always wanting to lead you to the better idea. God is always wanting to lead you to the better idea. That's why we, we left with two, uh, uh, two uh, points uh, last week. I said this, that a transformed Christian is an innovative Christian. And a transformed Christian is an entrepreneurial Christian. Why? Because Romans 12, 1 to 2 says that we're always being renewed in our mind. We're beginning to think what God is thinking. We're beginning to see what God is thinking. And it's not static. You don't have the same thoughts when you were five years old and, you know, now you're 45. You don't have the same kind of thoughts. God's thinking also for us, he gives us little at a time for what we can understand and what we can perceive and what we can envision. Your thoughts also will expand with the mind of Christ. Uh, a couple weeks ago, I had the privilege of uh, meeting a guy named uh, Thomas, Pastor Thomas. He is a Korean-American. He's young. He's probably, he probably just turned 30 around there as well. And he's from Chicago. He's a church planter with the United Methodist Church. And um, our paths just happened to cross, and he wanted to meet me and just kind of understand what, what was ministry like here in Seattle, since he has very little context. But what was really cool is I got to meet him. Uh, we met here at the offices. Um, was his approach, he came here, he's come here as a church planter, and he has no connections to Seattle. His, his denomination basically sends him. Now, there's basically two traditional ways you could do church planting. He's going to be in South Park. Anybody know where South Park is? Oh, a lot of you guys do. Okay, I've, I had to look it up on the map. I have no, I've been here for 15 years. But yeah, it's like, a, it's west of here, uh, over, over, um, over I-5, and then over the Duwamish uh, Waterway. It's that little neighborhood right there, South Park. Uh, I just thought it was a TV show. Anyway, so I looked it up, and his idea was, um, uh, I'm sorry, the traditional idea is you could do a church, you have a mother church, and you have a daughter plant, right? And the other way to do a church plant, a traditional way, is to uh, just through your networks and make some connections and maybe partner with the church and try to get people to follow you and maybe do some uh, preview services, and then you have a launch service, and the idea is to, like, get people to come. It's, an attract, it's called an attractional model. Well, he was so innovative. As he was explaining to me, I loved his vision. He was like, Roy, I'm not doing the, the traditional church plant model. The way I want to do something different, I want to do something innovative, something that's maybe unique or has contextual, um, you know, for, for Seattle. And he says, what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to engage the business community there in South Park. So what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to network and be embedded. I want to do this thing called community engagement. And I want to do that through the business community. And so his idea is that, and so he, he um, got a job as a, a barista in a coffee shop in South Park. I think there's only one. So it was through that way so he could meet people in the community and then also meet other business owners in the community so they can build a network. So his goal is not to be a pastor of like, See, I'm a pastor of a church like this, like we're coming together on Sundays, right? He wants to be a pastor of a community like this. And so his idea is to be a pastor of South Park. And so his goal isn't to have a church building. His goal is perhaps to have maybe just a network of churches, a network of, of house churches that, that he might be able to lead. Really innovative, really interesting, and I think really contextual uh, for Seattle. But as he was talking about it, I said, hey, um, 
uh, you know, the, the, the business community. So yeah, now you're working at a coffee shop and I said, Don't, it feels kind of limited. And by the way, where is South Park? And so I got on the map and trying to figure out where South Park was. And, and then I just said, hey, have you ever thought about connecting with um, a school there? You know, and um, he's like, is that even legal? You know, Seattle, like, yeah, yeah, it's legal. It actually happens, happens quite a bit now. And uh, he says, and so he was kind of like processing that. So what do you, what do you mean? Like, well, can I show you? And so uh, we, he says, yeah, I'd love, love to see it. And so we, we, we were here, and we walked over to Dearborn. And it was just really simple. I mean, what did I show? I just introduced him to teachers. I introduced him to the librarian, uh, family support workers over there. And he was just, I could just see his mind, just innovation, just ideas. And he was like, can, afterwards, he's like, can you please, can you please introduce me to the elementary school over there? In, and we looked it up on the map. It was Concord uh, International School. He's like, can you please introduce me to that school because I want to do that over there. And it just makes sense too because here's a coffee shop, right? I mean, it's very limited, you know, people that you're going to uh, interact with and people maybe that are retired or something like that who have that time during the day to be out during the day. But South Park, if you know, it's a very at high risk needs community. So anyway, what's really cool is that we have a meeting to connect him with the, uh, with the school at Concord Elementary. Pretty cool, right? You can clap for that. That's a good thing. That's a good thing. That's an awesome thing. <laughs> So I just love, again, it's the innovation. If you offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, God will begin to use you in innovative, creative, entrepreneurial service to others. In fact, you are especially gifted to do this. And I know when you hear those words, entrepreneurial and innovative, and we think of business community, I think that's good. But I think you need to apply all of that creativity and all the ways that you think you're not entrepreneurial and all the ways that you think you're not innovative. And you need to apply that to what it means to be a follower of Christ. Because this is what the passage says. This is what Paul is explaining in these following verses. All right. Beginning uh, chapter 12, verse 3, he says this. By the grace given to me, I say to every one of you. That's a every one of you. That's a us. Right. Do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. For just as each of us, he's saying this is, this is a, an illustration that you can all understand. Just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ, though many form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. And then it gets real specific. We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it is serving, then serve. It's teaching, then teaching. I mean, Paul's just on this riff here of preaching. If it's to encourage, then do it, then give encouragement. If it's giving, then give generously. If it's to lead, do it diligently. If it is to show mercy, do it cheerfully. This passage, it's filled with so much promise. It's filled with so much promise for every single one of us. And it says that we, one of the things that we were given was the ability to make an impact in this world through service, utilizing the gifts that God has given every single one of us. Now, you know, when I read this, I just wanted to take a step back. 
because I just think of how much God has given us, right? God has given us so much. That's what we've been reading and being immersed in the last, uh, you know, 11 chapters. God has given us his son, and it's through Jesus that we have, we have forgiveness, we have justification, we have um, the Holy Spirit living through us, we have this power over sin, and now Paul is saying there's a gift within all these gifts. Like there's this, these amazing gifts God has given us, and there's this other gift. And then he introduces this idea, a gift, in verse 6. He says, we all have different gifts. And that's the word charismata, where we get the word charismatic. We have different gifts according to the grace, and that's the word charis. So gift and the gifting that God gives us, they're both, the, the, the root word's the same. According to the grace, which is charis, given to each of us. And so, again, that word charismata, that's the word we get charismatic. So we're all charismatics. You know that? Every, every person in this room, we're all charismatics. Okay? You didn't know that, but we are. But God just keeps on giving. He keeps on giving. So I just thought it was interesting, though, because I think that for, for myself sometimes and, and for others, too, sometimes we feel like, you know, when we come to God in, in prayer, or we look at the particular needs in our lives, a lot of times we think, God, I could use a little bit more, right? I could use a little more money. I could use a little more talent. I could use a little more resource. I could use just a little bit more you, a little bit more presence. A lot of times when we look at our lives, we kind of see ourselves in a deficit. God, I could use a little more health. I could use a little more wealth. I could, you know, just something I need a little bit more. And I just think it's, it's interesting that, our, our, that we can just go kind of back and forth so quickly. I mean, I think of, I was thinking of Thanksgiving, right? Because we have this one day out of the year where we're supposed to count our blessings, <clears throat> and a lot of us do. And, and just think about that. In Thanksgiving, a lot of us, we do this. We have this one time where we kind of set aside probably a little bit quiet in our minds, and we think of all that God has given us. We're thinking about our friends. We're thinking about our family. We're thinking about all the material blessings we have. We think about our jobs. We think about our education. And we are so full, right? I mean, we're worshiping God. We're so, we, we feel so blessed. Like, we don't need anything else in life. But, but isn't it weird that same day, like 12, like 6 to 12 hours later, I mean, we go, we go from thankful to cartful, you know? Because the next day is Black Friday, and all of a sudden, we think about, man, I have a 55-inch TV. I really need a 65-inch TV. I mean, my 55-inch, just, it's just not good enough, right? And then we, that, and within, you know, 6 to 12 hours, all of a sudden, we're thinking about all the things I don't have and all these, things, all these upgrades that I need. I, I just don't have enough. I need more. I need more. And, I, you know, I just I feel like I'm falling behind. It's so weird how we go from thankful to cartful within just a period of 6 to 12 hours, Right? And, and I was just thinking, why do we do this? And why, you know, Thanksgiving just needs to happen more often because we spend the rest of our year in this poverty mentality. I was just thinking, why do we do this? Why do we kind of think that God's always holding out on us? And I think it's because we don't really know what we have. I think we're not really thinking about what we have. And the things that we have, maybe we're not sure how they really apply to our life or how to use them, how to use these gifts. And I was thinking, man, it's not going to be a good day, church. It's not going to be a good day when we get to heaven. We stand before God, and he tells us all that was given to us in Christ, 
all that we needed to live a life of passion and purpose and impact and love to spread the light of Christ and healing throughout this world. And we had all of this right in our pocket, but we did not reach in deep and we didn't take it out and we didn't give. It's not, it's not going to be our best day. It's not going to be our best day. Church, I want you to know every single person here, however you feel about yourself, and hopefully that what that feeling is, is you're getting that identity fully in Christ and his love for you. But church, you have a greater capacity to give. You have a greater capacity to make an impact. You have a greater capacity to bless this world that you are currently aware of. And you need to hear that because a lot of us, we probably just feel helpless. But you have a greater capacity to give and a greater capacity to make an impact than you are currently aware of. And here it is. When your connection with God, when your relational depth with God meets your concern for people, you'll discover your gifts. When your relational depth with God meets, your cons- meets a concern for people, for this world, you will begin discovering your charismata, your gift. They didn't have spiritual assessments back then. You couldn't go online and figure out and do a questionnaire to figure out what your spiritual gifts were. This is how they did it. It's their relational depth with God, their love for God. It met their concern for this world. And in that, they developed this whole theology of gifts. So um, Paul, he helps us out, and he says, let me give you an example. Let me give you a list. Now, in verse 6 and 7 and 8, it's not a complete list. If you go to 1 Corinthians 12 or Ephesians 4 or 1 Peter 4, those have some more, more gifts, more listing of gifts. But there's a few that Paul says. He says, we all have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. That means that when you say something prophetic, do it in the sense of whatever God gives you. Don't go beyond. Don't say something beyond what God hasn't given you. And then he says, um, if it is serving, then serve. If it's teaching, then teach. If it's to encourage, then give encouragement. If it's giving, then give generously. If it's to lead, do it diligently, do it well, do it with purpose. If it's to show mercy, do it cheerfully. So let me just go just quickly over a few of these gifts, because what what I found is that um, a lot of the gifts, when you start focusing in on and, and experimenting and utilizing the gifts that God gives you, what I've learned is that it, they usually lead to another. So at the very basic, you need to know that is that every believer has a spiritual gift, right? Every believer has a gift that's meant to bless the world, okay? Um, but a lot of times these gifts, they're given to us in their infant form. So we need to actually use them to, for them to be exercised and to grow. And as you grow and you focus on them, a lot of these gifts, they lead to another gift that the Spirit's giving you or a gift, another gift you didn't know you had. Let me just give you an example. Um, prophesying, all right? You've heard prophesying is both foretelling, telling about what is the truth, what is going on, what is God doing right now, and then foretelling what he can do in the future. And the reason those things are related, why they, people talk about them both foretelling and foretelling, is because when you are discerning, when you're having the mind of God and you're able to foretell about the truth that's going on in a particular person's life, in a particular situation, 
Well, it's really easy. Once you know the truth, you can kind of understand what the next consequences are going to be or what the next steps are going to be. That's why there's foretelling that goes along with that. Now, with that particular gift, if you have that gift, a lot of times the secondary gift, what comes out of that is prayer. Because if you're able to prophesy and understand where thing, where a person is or where situations and where they're going, you know that we're going to need prayer around that. And a lot of times that leads to prayer. It also leads to sometimes the preaching and teaching gift. Uh, then he goes to serving. And I, I, I love that, that gift of serving. Uh, I, I call the gift of service, is, it's the gateway gift. Right? It's the gateway gift. And the reason is because a lot of people think they have, would say, they have the gift of serving. And if you just serve and you just start doing stuff, you actually find out what you're really good at and what you're passionate about. And it actually leads, again, to that secondary, it leads to that secondary gift. Uh, teaching, if a lot of you guys like to teach, and I, I know a lot of people, they like to teach and they begin teaching and they think they have the gift of teaching. But when they start teaching, they realize they're really bad. And the reason they're really bad is because they don't have enough knowledge behind it. They actually have the gift of teaching, but they just need a little bit more foundational, like some, some training and some knowledge. And what that does is that those who have the gift of teaching, then they go into searching out knowledge so they can have a good foundation so they can teach well and teach correctly and rightly. So the gift of teaching a lot of times leads to the gift of knowledge. And then he talks about encouragement. Now, encouragement, again, is a speaking gift. And do you remember you went to youth retreat when you were little, you know, and they would give you encouragement notes, and you would go home, and then you would read your encouragement notes, and some people had the gift of encouragement, right? And you'd read those like, wow, you know? And then some people had the gift of discouragement, like, oh, oh man, you know, why are they saying that to me, you know? <laughs> yeah. The gift of encouragement, it's, it's so cool. It, again, it's a speaking, it's a speaking gift. A lot, of, I know a lot of people, they begin with the gift of encouragement. And what it does is it leads to the gift of prophecy. It just makes sense, too. Because you're just encouraging, you're trying to be really, really compassionate, really thoughtful to another person. And as you're utilizing that gift in the spirit, and a lot of times for people who have that gift, you know how to use it. You know that when you're speaking those words, you, it's like you're praying at the same time. And you're asking God to give the words that will uplift, the words that will encourage, the words that are for that moment, for that particular person. And it leads just automatically to like a prophetic gifting as well. That's a secondary gifting. And then, of course, uh, leading. Uh, oh, no, no, giving. Giving. It's huge. It's the gift that nobody wants because you give all your stuff away, right? Nobody wants that one giving. Now, <clears throat> here's an interesting one that, that my experience in seeing others who have this particular gift of giving. When we think of giving, we, we always think of the person who's like just, who's maybe wealthy and just gives their money away, <laughs> all right? But, and if you're so lucky to be in that, so blessed to be in that position, that's awesome, let's do it. But here's what's going to happen when you start exercising that gift of giving. What it is, it's not about generosity. It becomes less and less about, oh, I'm just going to be a generous person. And what it becomes, when you're a giver, it becomes more and more about vision. Kind of an uh, apostolic type gift. The reason why is because you realize that your resources, whether it's finances, whether it's the, the time and competence and talent that you can give to something, that you can lend to something, uh, whether it, the, your giving is also your, your brain, like your mind and your ideas. 
what you realize is that if I put some resource in this particular area where there's a problem, if I put some resource into this particular area where there's a difficulty, I can actually change the outcome of that situation. And so those who are gifted and have the gift of giving, it easily leads into like an apostolic type gift, even a pastoral gift, a shepherding gift. And it's really amazing to see that happens, to see that shift. And it's such, it's such a natural occurrence that happens. Leading, leading is important. Of course, we need people to lead. And I just want to say this. I know a lot of people, <clears throat> and they just say, man, Roy, I could, I, I, um, I, I could never do what you want to do. And um, also, Roy, you know, I've, I've gone to people and I've asked them to lead certain ministries, right? And they always, uh, they always say this. A lot of people say this. I just want to be the number two person. I want to be the person, you know, put the leader up front, but I want to be the person in the back. I want to be a person that nobody ever sees because I'm not comfortable being out front. Anyone ever say that in their life before? Okay, a few people. All right, yeah. And what I've noticed is, is this, like, or what I feel God's speaking to me in this moment, because I've had so many, so many people say that. And those people always become future leaders out front. <laughs> they just see that all the time. Those are the ones. Because really, when you're saying that, when you're saying, look, I, I, I've got enough where I could be number two. I don't want to be number one up here, but I'll be number two. What, this is what you're really saying, but you just don't know you're saying this. Okay? What you're saying is this. You're saying, I have all this passion for what you're calling me to. It's right there. I have all this passion. But I don't have enough passion to really love others to be out front because I'm so scared. But what you've just told yourself is, I have all this passion. But you just don't know that you've just told yourself that. And so you've just told me that actually, Roy, I actually have all this passion. I'm like, yes, I know. That's why I'm asking you. And as their passion, and see, here's what happens, is you can be in that number two position. And after you begin serving in that number two position, this is what happens. A couple things should happen. You'll, you'll look at the number one guy. You'll look at me like, man, I could do a better job than him. <laughs> right? Or they're doing some things that are really holding me back, you know? I could do it better, you know? And then that'll make you have that, that, that energy, like, yeah, I want to take that lead because I, I could do better. I could, I've got different ideas. I could bring more innovation. I could make it better. Yeah. And a good leader, a good leader will say, yeah, come on up. Take over my position. Do it better. And then the second thing also is that as you're, when you're in that number two spot and your passion begins to grow, and your love for others begins to go above your fear of public speaking or fear of being the one who's ultimately held responsible or the fear of being the person that gets all the, the negative feedback. But your love becomes greater and then you're willing to step up. Those who like just want to be in the background, I love it when people say that because they, they've identified themselves as the next leader. So don't use those words with me, okay? When I come talk to you. Um, <coughs> and then, of course, mercy. And we need, that, we need the gift of mercy. Now, when you read these gifts, okay, when, when, I, when I read through them, one of the thoughts that went through my mind was these gifts, these are spiritual gifts given by God. They come from heaven, and every single follower of Christ is given a gift. One of the things I was thinking was, like, these gifts, 
really, if you list them out, they're just not that spectacular, <laughs> right? I mean, just think about it. If you were having a conversation with your non-Christian friend, and they asked you, hey, what'd you do this weekend? I went to church. Yeah, what'd your pastor preach on? Talk about. Talk about gifts. He said every single believer has a spiritual gift, a special ability given by God. And your non-Christian friend is like, whoa, that sounds amazing. So, like, what are some of these gifts? And you say, teaching. <laughs> I mean, right? I mean, that's just not very, you know, mercy. You know, I don't want that gift. You know, I've got enough people to think about in my life. I don't want that gift. You know, it just doesn't sound very spectacular when you think about these, all these gifts. Um, when, you think about any, when you think about these special abilities, we think of, we want Marvel Comics Universe special abilities, right? I mean, isn't that what we really want? When we hear about special abilities and gifts, that's kind of like what we think about. <coughs> uh, when I was younger, <clears throat> like a lot of kids, you know, when you watch cartoons and see superheroes and things like that, I was so obsessed with, with flying. I wanted to fly. Right? Anyone here ever dreamed of flying? Right? I mean, isn't that, that would be just the best gift, right? Flying. And I was so into flying, I would have dreams. I still remember my dreams as a kid of flying. Now, my dreams were cool because I actually felt like I was flying, but my dreams were really frustrating because when I flew, I could only fly three feet off the ground. So I wasn't really Superman. I was more like hovercraft man, okay? So I'd be going around like the sidewalk like this, like three feet off the ground. That, that, was, that was my dream. So it was cool because I could actually feel, you know, when you're in a dream, it, you actually feel like you're flying. But at the same time, it was like I felt so frustrated. It's like, pull up, man. Like, come on. You have to get some altitude. And I think that, so it was so frustrating that you had this power, but then I didn't feel powerful. And, and I think that that's how a lot of people feel when it comes to these particular gifts. Like, you know that you're supposed to have this gifting, this special ability, but you don't feel powerful in it. And we kind of wonder, God, can't you do better in the gift category? Give us flight. Give us superhuman strength. Uh, you know, give us lightning, thunder, shoot out webs, jump over buildings. I mean, that would make us feel powerful. If you told me I had a gift, that would make me feel powerful. Powerful. Uh, speaking of Marvel Comics Universe, any of you guys watch Black Panther? Shout out. Oh, yeah. Uh-huh. Big fans, right? Big fans. I saw that movie two weeks ago. <clears throat> I was never so proud to be black, or wanted to be black. I mean, whatever, one of those things, you know? I mean, it was just so, it was such a great movie. I think that out of all of the Marvel Comics uh, universe, like uh, the movies, I, actually, I think all of them were good. Like, I think all of, maybe Iron Man 2 or 3, those weren't that good, but I, everything else was really good. I loved all the Thor movies and everything, too. But I, so far, I think the Black Panther, it's my favorite movie so far. And the reason why it's my favorite movie is because I, it's weird, I can't, I can't stop thinking about it, right? Really, I can't. I can't stop thinking about the movie. And the reason why is because there are so many, there's many overt, but there's also many subversive subtexts in the movie. And I just keep going back trying to untangle all of those subversive messages in there. Let me, let me just give you some of the obvious ones so that you can just kind of understand. Just bear with me. There's, there's a point to this, okay? Um, the movie is about this. It, it's about, it's a, it's a fictitious, it's a story about a fictitious 
African nation called Wakanda, all right? It sounds real, but it's fictitious, all right? Don't look it up. It's not on a map somewhere, all right? It's a fictitious African nation called Wakanda. What's interesting about this little nation is that it, is, it was able to remain completely untouched, completely untouched by European and Western colonization. All right, just even that in itself, it's like, what would a country in Africa like that look like? A country that's completely untouched by European and African, uh, European and Western colonization. Not only that, <clears throat> they were able to hold on to their most valuable natural resource buried miles and miles underneath the country. All right, so no foreign power was able to take the natural mineral resources, think diamonds and emeralds, and I mean, you're getting this? Like the country was actually able to self, have self-determination in its own natural resources, a com country completely untouched that was not ravaged or pillaged by a foreign power to take all of that wealth out. What would that country look like? I mean, just think about that. This is pretty, pretty amazing of just the whole context of, what, of, of this particular story, of this particular country, okay? And so their most valuable resource is, what is it? Vibranium, okay, good, right? Everyone, everyone knows. Again, it's not a real mineral, it's not a real thing. All right, <clears throat> and so because this one African country was able to be self-determined in its governance, in its culture, and in its natural resources, it was actually able to prosper as a country more than any other country on the planet. And their technology is about 100 years more advanced than any other country, any other city, this one African nation. I mean, just again, this, the, the, the subversive stories of like, it's about what could have been. It's, it's incredibly subversive and it's, it's incredibly, incredibly thoughtful. Now, in this movie, <coughs> what's really interesting is this, okay? I'm, don't worry, I'm not gonna give any details away. Everyone dies in the end, no. Um, but uh, there's, there's two themes, two really important themes that come out uh, of, of this movie. The first one is this. <coughs> um, oh, wait, wait, just back up, one, one point. It's this African country uh, that has been able to, again, escape all the ravages of kind of what's happened to all the other African countries. It's this one African country, it's, it's the black nation that are the people of privilege. Again, this is so subversive. Think about it. It's this African country. They are the people of privilege. All right? And so in knowing that this country is the people of privilege, they're like 100 years ahead. Here's the two things that, that you learned that come out of that, the lessons that come out of this movie. Number one is that if you have privilege, it is your moral responsibility to empower those who don't. That's the first one. If you have privilege, it's your moral responsibility to empower those to share with those who don't. And if I could just summarize in one word, it just means to share. If you have more than others, you're supposed to share. So that's one thing that you learn, okay? Um, that they needed to learn, all right? Second is this. This is a big one. Is that the superpowers that you have, they aren't meant to make us feel powerful. They are meant to uh, make others feel powerful. 
right? The superpowers that you have, they aren't meant to make us feel good about ourselves or great about ourselves, to make us feel good about ourselves. They were always meant to bless others. So it's not about how the gifts that are given by the Spirit to you, it's not about how good they make you feel. Gifts are activated when they're used to bless others. Spiritual gifts, what we want is that spiritual gifts are not there to make us feel significant. See, because when we think of gifts and superpowers, we think, yeah, if I had like awesome superpowers, if I was powerful, if I could fly, if I could walk through walls or whatever it might be, we would say, yes, I really would use it for the benefit of society. No, you wouldn't. Maybe 50%. Okay? But you would use it, a lot of it, so you could feel good about yourself. God gives gifts in a way where your root identity in Christ is never threatened by what you do. Because your root identity in Christ is who you're called by the voice of God, not by what you do. And so when God gives these gifts, he gives them in a way so that it won't threaten. It does not threaten your identity so that you don't get your significance from the gift, but the gift is powerful when it's used correctly to bless others. That's why Paul says here in verse 3, he says, For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober, even judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. What is in accordance to the faith God has given each of you? What has brought us to faith? What has brought us to faith is that we were so lost and we were so broken and so sinful that there was nothing that we could do to redeem ourselves. And yet at the same time, God so loved and God thought, of, uh, thought us and looked at us to be so worthy of saving that's exactly what he did. He gave his best to us. That's sober judgment. If that's your theology and your identity, you'll never have like a really big head. You'll never be so proud. At the same time, you're not going to be stuck in despair like I'm such a bad person. That's why you're able to have sober judgment about who you are and the gifts that God has given you. And so God gives us these gifts to make an impact on others through our service. And so the gifts... They're not meant to, for us. They're, they're not meant for us to feel good about ourselves. We don't derive our significance from what we do. We don't derive our significance from our service. It's out of your our core identity in Christ as a light bearer that you discover your core service. See, the way that the world works, the way that our flesh works, we want it to work this way, is that it's the things that I do that define who I am. It's the things, it's the way I perform that defines who I am. The way that gifts work, it's our identity in Christ who you discover your core service because you already know who you are. It's very different. So how do you, uh, so God's gifts are meant to bless others so that they feel good about God, not so that we can feel good about ourselves. All right, how do you help others? And let them feel good about God. You serve them with their gifts. 
And so the big question today is very simply is will you serve? For every single one of you, <clears throat> will you serve? Will you serve here in the church? Will you serve your community? Will you, assert, will you serve your workplace? Will you serve at your school? Will you serve? Now, for those of you who've been in church for a while, you know that there is a, a number, a proportion, a fraction that gets kicked around a lot. It's this thing called 80-20, right? You guys know that? So the idea <clears throat> is that in most churches, that it's 20% of the people do 80% of the work. Right? That's the number of, the, of most churches. We're just 20%, just, just these few rows here, they, just do, they do 80% of everything that goes on in the church. That's not a healthy proportion. And um, a few years, uh, maybe five or six years ago, I just did my own little calculation of where are we, where is SCAC in, in this proportion? And at least my numbers is, we were like about 40%, a little bit higher, which was, I, I like those numbers, about 40%. A lot of you are serving, 40% of the people are doing about 80% of their work. Those are good numbers. And my prayer would be after this week uh, and next week is that we get to 50%, is that half of the people in SCAC are actively serving, whether it's serving here in church or you're serving your community, or you have a very specific place, a way that you're serving at work, or in your neighborhood, or your school. But that would be my prayer, and that's my goal, that after, we're going to spend two weeks on this, but that after these two weeks, is that everyone here, at least half of you, have decided, I am going to serve. I'm going to give. I'm going to, Paul said, you know, I urge you to give your lives a living sacrifice, where you've actually had a very practical way to do that. Will you serve? We need you to serve. Verse 4, just as each of us is one body with many members, and these members do not have all the same functions, so in Christ we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. And so we get this. And so one of the things about the human body is that in the human body, the most vital organs, the ones that mean the most and do the most and sustain most of the life, those are all hidden. You can't see them. The most important organs are hidden. And I was just thinking about that as, um, as I think about our church too, <clears throat> and I think about people that, you know, again, they don't want to be recognized. I think about Auntie Lisa who's served in almost every single ministry. Um, I think about Herman and, and Laura, again, who've served in, in so many ministries and leadership areas. Um, I think, you know, um, Auntie Sheila, I don't know if Auntie Sheila's here today, but, you know, Auntie Sheila, I just think of Auntie Sheila, and, and so many of you young people have been through her Sunday school class. I mean, generations and generations, generations. It's like a, this epic Sunday school, you know, you know teacher uh, that we have. Um, of course, uh, Hermia and Wallace have, have done so, so much in helping our church move forward in generation and after generation. And so, um, uh, you know, the, the normal thing to do, right, when you want to try to, like, at least honor some saints that have been, you know, been impactful in the community is to have them stand. 
But they, they would hate that. They would hate to stand. They would hate, they hate that I'm actually talking about them right now, okay? <laughs> all right, so this is what I thought we'd do instead, all right, is that if you've been impacted, if you personally have been impacted by Lisa, by, by Herman, and by Auntie Hermia, and, and Laura, and Wallace, um, and she, uh, Auntie Sheila, would you stand? If you've, had, if you've been impacted by them in any way, if you would just stand, that'd be cool. Awesome. Awesome. Give a hand clap. That's awesome. Awesome. You can have a seat. Um, now, one thing's cool is that uh, <clears throat> a person I also want to uh, recognize I didn't mention is that uh, there's a guy named, named here named Dale. And uh, again, um, Dale's so, so humble, and he's great. And so Dale's been leading the, the ministry that does... Um, we have a van that goes to Chinatown, the International District, every Sunday. And they bring in the, the seniors uh, who can't drive, and they bring them here to SDAC. And Dale has been leading this ministry for so long, no one actually knows when he started. Okay? I asked several people how long he's been doing this. And everyone's like, before I got here, before I got here, <laughs> you know, he's been doing this for, for so long. And Dale's also going to be coming off that ministry, but there's so much work that it does with the, the maintenance of the vans and getting the drivers. And most of these people, just I think about it, the people who utilize the van, the van, they're not part of the English congregation. I mean, the ones who are getting on the van, these are people in Chinatown, right? They're not part of the English congregation. But it's an English ministry leader who's serving our brothers and sisters in the Chinese congregation. That's what we do at, a, at this kind of church, at this kind of church. And we do that at all, all different levels. And so, Dale, you've been doing this for so long. You know, I don't even know, like, how long you've been doing this. But anyway, we just want to say thank you. And we really praise God for, for all your service for all these many years because we know you're going to be going into, not retirement, but, you know, probably something new, something new. All right? So, Dale, this is for you. Just want to give this to you. And let's say thank you to him. Thanks, Dale. Thanks, Dale. Awesome. Awesome. We just have a legacy of just really faithful people, really faithful people. So <clears throat> another thing is, will you serve? And so part of this is that next Sunday, this is important, next Sunday after service, we are going to have a ministry fair. What that means is that downstairs in the fellowship hall, we have all of our uh, ministries, and you can talk to someone about all the different ways you can serve here at SCAC, okay? And not only will you have someone that you can talk to, each ministry leader is going to have a, a job description of the area that's in need and what's required. So you have all the information to make some decisions. That is next Sunday. It's going to be downstairs in the fellowship hall, so please do that. I'm going to go through this really quickly, and then I'm going to invite the worship team. You guys can come on up, get set. But uh, one of the questions that people ask a lot is, like, how do I know what my gifts are? Good question, right? And these days, you can actually do one of those online assessments, and there's free ones out there. If you want to do a paid one more in-depth, just come to me. Just ask me. I have a whole bunch of, of free codes for you that will give you a much more in-depth uh, assessment. But that's fine. But I'm just saying, in, back in the first century, they didn't have online assessments, okay? And they had this complete theology of gifting. How did they have that without the online assessment? <clears throat> couple things. Number one, 
get involved with a lot of different ministries. <clears throat> People just saw a need and they served. It's really that simple. So get a lot involved in a lot of different ministries because there are a lot of needs out there. Number two, notice what you complain about. All right? That's a, a way where God, where you're seeing how God is leading you. If you see something in church and like, that's wrong or that's messed up or that could be better or I could do a better job or how come that thing is always there or whatever it is in church that you complain about, go be the solution to that. Go serve that area. That's another area. And the uh, fourth one is you ask the question, is someone blessed by you? Uh, maybe you took them out for coffee. <clears throat> maybe you did a teaching lesson. Uh, maybe a word of encouragement. You gifted them with something anonymously. You had the capacity and you did it. And, and the outcome of your service was something greater than your input. It's like you noticed it. You're like, wow, that turned out a lot better than the energy I put into it. That could also tell you that there's a particular fruit there, that someone was blessed by your service. That could be an area where you're gifted as well. Uh, I can still remember for myself the very first time I served at church. It's very clear to me. The very first time I served at church. It was after the retreat where I got saved in college. And the next weekend, I was so excited to be at church because I just wanted to be at church. <clears throat> I was so excited. I got there early. Got there early. And when I got there early, I noticed none of the chairs were set up. I said, you know what? I'll set up the chairs. I'll go ahead and do that. And I felt so blessed to do this really small thing of being able to bless others so that their chairs were ready when they came. And I just did that for myself. I did that then every Sunday. I came early. No one had to tell me what to do. You guys are all old enough. You guys see enough. No one needs to tell you what to do. Just look around, and you'll see the need. And you have power by the Holy Spirit to meet that need with the gifts that you have, and he will lead you into other gifts. Let's pray. Billy Graham said this, God has given us two hands, one to receive with and the other to give with. Father, we thank you, Father, for the simplicity of that quote of a person who lived their life in service. And so, Father, in the same way, I pray for all of us that you are calling each of our lives to, in a deeper way, to give our lives as a holy sacrifice pleasing unto you. And for every single person here who knows that they're not serving, they're not giving, I pray, Father, that they'll, yeah, they'll have those discussions and they think about what's the impact of service on my life and what's my schedule and things like that. But in the end, we need to be like the Wakandans where it's not about how the power makes me feel powerful. It's about how my powers can lead others to feel powerful. And how it's, my gift is not how, about how I feel about myself, but as I use my gift, I can help others feel really good about God point them in that direction. So I pray for everyone here who's not serving God. Would you challenge them 
that this is the time to stand up. This is the time to let their light shine a little bit brighter and with more direction and focus and say, I want to give my life, I want to give some part of my life to bless others. And for those who are already serving, God, would you bless them in their service and help them to really focus even more so that they can really be honed in their gifting. And not only that, by being honed and focused in their gifting, God, that they would discover the other gifts that are right there, just waiting, waiting to be activated as they continue to serve you. And I pray, Father, for those, maybe there's, I don't know, 5%, 10% that are maybe really tired of serving for various reasons. And God, I want to thank you, Father, for those faithful servants. And maybe we all need a time of rest. We all need a time of rest. But I pray for the hearts of those servants who are also just tired of serving. And God, you love them. Would you renew them? Would you let them know how much they're loved? Would you let them remind them to know that how much their service did and has and will continue to make an impact the lives of those they serve because it was a beautiful thing. It was a beautiful thing. And our world is a better place because they've served. And you would reignite in their heart that passion, that flame to know that we're so blessed to be part of a movement where the redemption and reconciliation of the human soul is where we're going. The redemption, the reconciliation of our world where there's unit, disunity and strife and racial um, division and no one can talk to each other about things that are important. God, we're so glad to be part of that movement and you've given us the ability to bring that reconciliation and healing through these gifts, these subversive, simple gifts that you've given each of us to serve this world. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Amen, church. Let's stand. Let's sing the song.